is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. If you've been reading the scriptures lately, you discovered in Matthew chapter 24 that Jesus spoke about a condition that was going to take place in the time, the period of time immediately before his second coming, there would be so massively deception upon, uh, deceptive upon the face of the earth that the majority of humankind would be deceived. That's why he said, straight is the gate, narrow is the way, and precious few there be that find it. But broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many that go in thereat. But why would they do that? Why would people go in and choose a way that is going to lead to destruction? Well, one of the reasons is because it seems like that's the cool way. It seems like that's the way that so many are going. It seems like that's the progressive way. That's the way that human beings are going, and if I don't go that way, I'm going to be left out of the dust. Well, Jesus' disciples came to him two days before his crucifixion, there on the Mount of Olives, and they asked him what would be the sign of his coming and of the end of the age. And the very first thing that he said was, take heed that no man deceive you. Now, I want you to think about this. If you were a deceiver, a master deceiver, what would be the best way that you could engineer deception that would take the majority of people across the primrose, down the primrose pass to religious and spiritual destruction? Would it not be that you would frame or reframe deception in the very name of the Savior himself? That you would reframe deception in the name of Jesus? Wouldn't that be the ultimate deception? Maybe that's the reason, friend, why something called progressive Christianity has developed over the last uh in, in one sense, we could say over the last 40, 50 years, it's going back a lot longer than that. The roots of it go far back, uh, far further back than that. But in the last 40, 50 years, I have been watching this pattern, and our guest today has been watching this pattern, and it is very troubling, very troubling indeed. And we're finding that it's not just in the area of those shall we say, out in the hinterlands of, of Christian religiosity. No, it's even entering into evangelical circles. So today, on Viewpoint, our special guest, uh, Jason Jimenez, with his book, Hijacking Jesus, How Progressive Christians Are Remaking Him and Taking Over His Church. The remaking of Jesus. Jesus is now being given a spiritual facelift. Jason, thanks so much for joining us. It's uh, amazing uh, what you've written here in your book. We've talked about it in so many different ways, but you have articulated it with a level of uh, precision that few have done, and I'm so glad that you've joined us. Well, thank you, Chuck. I appreciate that, and thanks for having me on the show. <clears throat> now, You've been a pastor. Uh, how long were you a pastor, or are you still a pastor? 
Um, yeah, I, I mean, I now pastor pastors. I mean, part of our ministry is that we mentor and really equip pastors with a biblical worldview and keep mm-hmm. them strong in the ministry. But I was actively doing that full time as a family pastor, children's pastor, student pastor, college uh-huh. pastor, all of that for, <laughs> yeah, for about 16 years. All right. So you've gone up through the ranks. I grew up in a pastor's home. My father was a pastor for 50 years and then he spent the last 20 years, uh, trying to pastor people in a hospital setting. Uh-huh. So I understand this pastoring world, uh, also having served as a pastor myself for many, many years, and uh, from coast to coast, actually. And as we look at what's happened in the realm of pastors, we see them leaning ever increasingly toward a kind of progressive-ism. It's an ism of uh, belief, of thought, that is just drawing them like a magnet to embrace uh, a remaking, a facelift of Jesus, turning him into something that the Bible does not say that he is or was. How could such a thing be happening? Well, it's happening because people start undermining the Bible. I mean, I mean, let's talk straight. When you look at the average progressive Christian, and any time you engage them, and I've talked to many of them, I have friends who are progressive Christians. Some of them may not refer to themselves as such. Right. But the one thing that they have that's, that's in common, young or old, male or female, whatever the case may be, whatever their background or ethnicity, the vast majority of people who define progressive Christianity as someone who does not believe Jesus to be God are people who do not fundamentally believe the Bible to be the infallible Word of God. That means they do not believe that the Bible is the final and ultimate authority. A lot of progressive Christians like to say that they take the Bible seriously, Mm -hmm. but they don't take it literally. Mm. And so what they've done over time, and as you alluded to earlier, Chuck, this has been going on for several decades, where progressive Christian leaders have been theologically and spiritually motivated with this refashioning, if you will, of the Bible, mm-hmm. right? That we, you know, the Bible is a is kind of folklore. We we can't really trust a lot of it because a lot of it's been hijacked over time and got paganistic rituals in there. And a lot of times, you know, bishops throughout church history would take portions of it and throw some of it out and put other things in. You know what I mean? And over right. time, you know, like the Council of Nicaea, that's when they started to deify Jesus and made him into a god when he never claimed to be God. When they seize Jesus like that. It's because they've, they're radically trying to reinterpret him into something that he's not, because they do not believe the Bible to be the authority of God's Word. All right, so, and so that's, yeah, that's what I've seen fundamentally take, take shape in the lives of a lot of these progressive Christians. Yeah, I agree with you. The question is, why? Not that they are doing it, but why are they doing it? And because what I find is, uh, generally speaking, when it comes to journalism, when it comes to even Christians and pastors discussing uh, various issues, they never want to seem to grapple with the why, because they think it's too judgmental. But the, the, the most important question is why this is happening. And I think that the bottom line of it all is we don't like authority. Humankind doesn't like authority. And that's what Satan attacked Adam and Eve with in the garden. When he asked that question, hath God said? Three words, hath God said, and it set up all of humankind 
for asking the same question of themselves and resolving it according to their own feelings rather than according to what God has said. Isn't that really what's happened here? Yeah, I mean, that that's exactly um, the point, is that, again, when you strip the Bible from, you know, from its authority, from its position, that it came from God, and the third person, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, illuminated, inspired the writers, the 40 different authors, to write the canonization of Scripture from mm-hmm. Genesis to Revelation. If you strip that from authority, you become the authority. Exactly. And, so, and, yeah, in other words, you become God. Yeah, you become God. And in the words of, a, of one of the famous progressive Christian pastors, Brian McLaren, who wrote the, the book called The Secret Message of Jesus, that authority shows up when he says, you get to decide how to develop your statements and who you believe Jesus is. Ah, okay. We'll be back to talk more in depth about this when we get back, friends. Hijacking Jesus. Let me tell you, this is a book you must have. It's a $25 hardbound book. It's yours for $22 on our website today, saveus.org. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chrismar, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Deception does not necessarily come outright with a sledgehammer. It comes in, like Carl, uh, Carl Frost once wrote, on little cat feet, like the fog. It just rolls in slowly, gently. It comes in with various different uh, feelings. It comes in feeling-oriented, and, you know, who doesn't want to feel good? Who doesn't want to have their feelings uh, massaged and uh, have things seem nicer, so to speak? And so it all feels so good. Well, Jesus didn't come to make us feel good. He came to make us good. Did you understand that? He didn't come to make us feel good. He came to make us good because he knew that Deep down, we were sinners, and we were completely estranged from the Father, God, and there was only one way that we were going to be able to be reconciled, not by redefining the faith, but by becoming the people God called us to be, which means an awful lot of people really feel that the Bible just gives them a lot of religious facts. Really. And there are certain camps within evangelical Christianity that make it seem like the Bible is just made up of a bunch of theological facts. And if we just believe these theological facts, everything's wonderful, everything's cool, we got it right. You know what the problem with that is, friends? You can know all the facts of the Bible, Even Satan quoted the Bible to Jesus, but he wasn't saved. He was in rebellion. So you can quote the Bible in rebellion. The problem with our thinking is we have come to believe that religious facts are what God is looking for. If we will just 
believe those facts. But you know what? The facts are there to define a life of faith to be lived based upon those facts. And that's what's missing. People miss it. And so they're rebelling against a religiosity that thinks it's just about facts. It's just about dogma or theology, and it isn't. And so they dismiss, then, the fundamentals of the faith and are left with nothing but illusory feelings. That's our problem. And it underlies the whole of progressive Christianity, friends. And our special guest today has defined so much of this in his book, Hijacking Jesus, how progressive Christians are remaking him, giving him a facelift. More than that, they're just completely reconstructing him and taking over his own church. Jason, I tell you, um, it comes on subtly. It comes on the... uh, uh, the shoulders of uh, nice, warm feelings, but it's destructive at the end, isn't it? It is. I mean, that's why I wrote the book, because when you are talking to people who are very sincere, but unfortunately they're sincerely wrong, and we see that the God of this age in Second Corinthians 4, verse 6, has blinded people. And you go around and you see these people, even when I moved to the South, a lot of people with this religiosity, you know, well, I'm, I'm this denomination, I'm that denomination. But when you start talking to them further and you ask them questions about what the gospel is and who Jesus Christ is, a lot of them doesn't align to Scripture. And the gospel is Jesus Christ, who came yep. into this world, you just said, he died on the cross for our sins, he was a sinless sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, as John said in John one twenty nine, that he, he was a substitute for you and me, right? And then mm-hmm. he rose physically and literally from the dead. That's the gospel we see in First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 8. Right. And yet when you see people who don't not just know that, but they actually don't believe that and yet call themselves a Christian, that person is dead in their sins. And there's an ultimatum in the end. There's either heaven or there's hell. And as Jesus said very, very pointedly in John eight twenty four, he who does not have the Son is not, in a, is not a person who has life. And That's so... Right. What I, what I wanted to show people is that if you strip Jesus of who he truly is, you're actually left with a liberator who failed to cause an insurrection to reform Judaism and overthrow Roman imperialism. And it was through the sake and the poverty and the guilt uh, of the disciples that they felt like, we failed our master, let's try to reinvent ourselves, and out of that came Christianity. Mm. That has no spiritual significance whatsoever if that is the end result of Christianity, of how it was founded and how it originated. And so when people want to be religious or spiritual, it's not through their own truth or their own experiences, and they they get to decide whatever they believe truth in God is. No, God has revealed himself in a loving and truthful way, and we can know him through the pages of the Scripture and through the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. And so when this hijacking has taken place, it's deceiving people, and I'm reminded, Chuck, even your listeners, to know this. Second Peter chapter two, there are false prophets who rose among the people, mm-hmm. and it says, "And as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies." And that's exactly yeah. what I've been seeing with these progressive mm-hmm. teachers 
is they're bringing in these secretly destructive heresies where a lot of people are not even aware of it. And so I wanted to go um, in my efforts to research this in a way that can be compelling and moving, but also trying to present a strong case to the progressives as well and say, do not be fooled in believing this new form of theology that you think is the truth. Yeah. Right? Because in the end, rejecting Jesus Christ as the Son of God, rejecting him for who he claimed to be, that we see clearly in Scripture, is is uh, a false gospel. Yeah. And that and, has eternal uh, consequences. False is deception, and uh, false will lead you to a very unpleasant eternal destiny. So, in other words, to embrace progressive Christianity is to embrace a gospel without hope. It's not good news. It's only good news for your feelings today. But it's not going to lead you to the life change and redemption and uh, restoration in in, uh, relationship with the Lord. It's just going to lead you into a world of religious feelings or what people call general spirituality. Now, isn't it interesting, Jason, that you left the West, you came to the Bible Belt of America, and uh, we're broadcasting from the Bible Belt of America here, and uh, you've noticed something. You've noticed the same thing that I noticed when we came from Southern California to the South. And the most difficult place, one of the most difficult places at least, if not the most difficult place that we've found to bring this message and this broadcast is in the South. Now you think, how could that possibly be? Isn't that the Bible Belt of America? Well, yes, it's called the Bible Belt of America, but in reality, there is a kind of religiosity, a kind of Christianity that just seems to be sort of a caricature of Christianity, and that's why, for the past 20-some years, the divorce rate in the Bible Belt of America has exceeded the days as a whole by 50%. Did you know that? Yeah. Isn't that astounding? Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it is astounding. That's what I spent most of my career in the ministry, working with families who, again, infidelity, uh, divorce rates. When I wrote a book several years ago called Abandoned Faith, I was spending a lot of time in counseling sessions with parents in their 50s and 60s some of them retired, mm-hmm. who raised the millennial generation. And what I found, Chuck, and I know that this can speak to a lot of your listeners, the millennials would say, I left or I abandoned Christianity. You know, the Gen Zers like to use the word deconverted, mm-hmm. but the millennials were using the word abandoned or left uh, the church or the faith because of the hypocrisy. Yeah of my family. And then when you, when you do investigate the lives of a lot of these parents, you know, they were trying, okay? A lot of them struggled um, and didn't know how to communicate that in a community of believers. Okay, partly that's fault. That's our, our fault as pastors. I get all that. But, but the reality is a lot of them were very uh, insufficient in their understanding of Scripture. They, there's a lack of discipleship, and then there's a lack exactly. of investment. Exactly. And what you see, yeah, what you see is they, they, you know, they focused on sports. They focused on, you know, the successes of what they wanted their child to be in this world rather than who they are in Christ. And I saw the damage that had working with millennials since the late 1990s. And now to see a lot of them who don't get married or who are married or how many of them believe 
sexuality is who you are and you get to determine your own gender, all that really, if you look at the root of that, goes back to a lack of a biblical worldview and a lack of living it out and modeling it authentically and truly and relationally in the lives of our kids. And so we try to combat that, and we even see that in the South, like you said. People just kind of have this free-spirited thing of like, well, we're all religious around it. We're, we all have our denominations. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you're saved. No, it doesn't. And, uh, you know, you, you say in this modernized version of Christianity, progressive Christians deceptively challenge Protestant churches with their conventional belief of Jesus as more of a liberator than a savior. So they're not really looking for a savior. They're looking for somebody to make the culture feel better. Isn't that really what it's about? Well, yeah, because if you go back to Second Peter chapter 2, and again, I use, as much as I interviewed progressives and studied them and looked at the historical uh, significance that they bring into their arguments or how they interpret the Bible, like I said earlier, they take it metaphorically mm-hmm. um, for the most part. Um, when you look at their uh, arguments theologically at how they interpret church history, right, that's in favor for them, and then they look at us as the real hijackers because they say Jesus never claimed to be God, and then they throw out the Gospel of John, for example, because of all the I am statements and the Christological significance it has. And when I look at all that kind of stuff and then see the spiritual results in the end of this liberator-type version of a woke Jesus that they have reinvented, it reminds me when I ultimately look at Scripture and let the Scripture speak into this, and I'm reminded, if you go back to Second Peter chapter 2, why do they do this with their deception? Because the Bible says they follow their sensuality. So when we, you and I are talking in the last segment where it's about authority, yes, because ultimately the authority they want for themselves, just like the Huxley brothers said, where they loved evolution because it gave them a philosophical argument that there is no God. Right. Um, so that <clears throat> what? Can they continue to feed their predilections, their sensuality? Because it says that they, they have blasphemed the way of truth. And that's ultimately what it's what's at what's at heart here, and that's why I do believe, unfortunately, uh, Chuck, a lot of people who are Bible believing, uh, Christ lovers, uh, and they have eternal life in Jesus Christ, but a lot of them are afraid or intimidated or overwhelmed by some of these progressive Christians who are among us because they think they're too intelligent, or, mm. you know, they've studied up on these kind of things, and they're very enlightened, you know what I mean? Just the very word progressive implies, mm. like, they have a... And the word progressive makes it sound like uh, yeah. we're really advanced. This is this is really heading out into uh, a, a whole new realm that we should have grasped before, but we didn't, and now we're in the enlightenment period, in which uh, we now realize... Uh, that things aren't the way we have taught them to be, and uh, we now have a more profound knowledge of Jesus than even what the Bible says. So their Christianity is more contemporary, more inclusive, not oppressive like dull, traditional Christianity. And that defines the gospel of Pope Francis. Mm-hmm. Pope Francis yeah. is yeah. a progressive. Mm-hmm. Isn't yeah, that amazing? Yeah, that's true, and because ultimately what the gospel is to the progressive Christian is social justice, or the social gospel. Right. What, what that means is that humans were not born in sin. Instead, what humans have to do is discover their own truth and work towards peace and justice so that we can fight for unification, so we can be a part of this 
this this absolute oneness of the universe. Because again, ultimately, a progressive Christian, they either believe that God is in the universe as the universe is in God, or they believe that God created the universe but is not involved in the affairs of the universe, or that God is a single entity, but he's not made up of three distinct persons. Um, and so that version of God, ultimately, when you look at a person like Jesus, they're like, well, yeah, he was a special individual that we should all try to make our pattern our lives to be like him moralistically, and he certainly had a manifestation of a spirit that no other human being ever had before. Uh, but they also then take the esoteric language that means, like, you know, a lot of this nuanced stuff that we that come from all these other false gospels that run contrary to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to build another narrative or image of Jesus that he's not. And that's what we have to continue to combat, because if we don't, then that narrative or that interpretation of Jesus wins in the end. All right, friends, we're talking with uh, Jason Jimenez, his book, Hijacking Jesus, How Progressive Christians Are Remaking Him and Taking Over His Church. It's a hardbound book, $25 years for $22 on our website, saveus.org. Very important book. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. In his book, Jesus Was a Liberal, Unitarian Universalist Minister Scotty McLennan says that not every liberal or progressive Christian stands for the same thing. In other words, it's kind of an amorphous thing, and intentionally so, because you can't pin it down. There is no dogma, no theological truths. Everything is metaphorical, and everything is based upon your determination individually of what is true. So, progressivechristianity.org, then, lists the core values of progressive Christianity, and here they are. We believe that following the way and teachings of Jesus can lead to experiencing sacredness, wholeness, and unity of all life, even as we recognize that the Spirit moves in beneficial ways in many faith traditions. So... We seek community that is inclusive of all people. We strive for peace and justice among all people. We embrace the insights of contemporary science to protect the earth and sustainability. And we commit to a path of lifelong learning, believing there is more value in questioning than in absolutes. So, the one thing that progressive Christians unanimously agree upon is that the Bible is not God's divine authority, and that Jesus is not God. Now, I'll tell you, uh, Jason, as I thought about this, uh, this has brought us to the point 
where we could have a dedicated and very educated and uh, articulate Hindu running for president as a Republican. When he has been asked about Jesus, and he's been asked about the Bible, he says, yes, I believe in Jesus. Well, then how is it you believe in Hinduism? Well, because Jesus is one of the wise teachers. We believe in what Jesus said. But I believe in Hinduism. Now, Hinduism has over 300 million gods. So, how is it that people could be embracing a avowed Hindu to lead our country? Yes, he is very articulate, very smart, and says a lot of very good things. We can embrace this because progressive Christianity allows this to happen. And, I believe, is fundamental and essential for the creation of the new world government, the new world order that must have a religious underpinning without biblical truth. That's where we are, I think. What do you say? No, I actually agree with you. I mean, if anybody can't, you know, spend some time, I mean, one of my most, you know, treasured studies in the Bible is prophecy, is eschatology. Mm-hmm. And, and I love it because it's always a reminder that God is omniscient, right? God is eternal in all things, in his knowledge. There's nothing that God lacks. So God sees in the eternal now everything from start to finish, mm-hmm. right? We're seeing things progressively in a continuum, right? Right. Because we're contingent beings. God isn't. And so when you look at the prophetic word before us, you look at Daniel chapter 7, you see this little horn that's mentioned. Of course, the Antichrist has many names. Uh, as the known as the son of perdition, and you look in the book of Revelation with the apostle John himself on the island of Patmos and mm-hmm. receive this final revelation of Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega, what you actually see in the descriptives that are given of the Antichrist in Daniel 7 to Revelation 17, yes, you see a religious system that exists in the end times. So this idea that people are going to be atheistic, that they're going to reject the presence of God, no. What we're going to be seeing is we're going to be seeing the stirringness, and this is where progressive Christianity feeds off of the the desire that people have spiritually. Again, mm-hmm. like you were quoting earlier with some progressives, they love the symbolisms of Christianity. Uh, Diane Butler Bass, who's a mentor to Jen Hatmaker, she loves the traditions of the Christ of faith, yet she does not hold, nor does she believe we should hold to the doctrines that historic Christianity has put in place because she thinks that they have been very abused and they're rigid and they have been used mm-hmm. as a way to brainwash people. Right. Well, the but word the doctrine, idea, let's though, talk about this, the, yeah. the word doctrine. Uh, to some people, that is a put-off, that, that word. But what it really means is teachings. Mm-hmm. For instance, yeah, the I mean, word Torah. The word Torah might be a put-off to people. It sounds too Jewish. But what it really means is the teachings. Mm-hmm. So if we were to use the word teachings, then maybe we might be able to make some headway at least, uh, because it's not about dogma, it's about teachings, the teachings of life. And uh, uh, if you do not take 
what Jesus said as the teachings that come from the Father. He said, I don't say anything I don't see that hear the Father say. I don't do anything that he doesn't do because I and the Father are one. So we have to understand those teachings to be coming from the Father. If we don't believe that, then why do we believe anything in there? Well, yeah, and I would even go a step further. The teachings are essential truths. If they mm-hmm. come from Jesus, they are they are essential truths. Exactly. Meaning they cannot they cannot be contradicted, and so and that's why yeah, we use the term doctrine uh, to try to give it that extra punch. They're not just idle teachings, but they're absolute truth. Yeah, they're absolute truths, and so that's the point where again, going back to progressive Christians, a lot of them like to treat. Um, their approach to say, oh, we're about right living. We're about loving everybody. That's mm-hmm. what Jesus was all about. Right. Right. And he demonstrated that. So then they apply that to some of his teachings, like the Sermon on the Mount. But again, the way that they look at it within the lens, uh, metaphorically, how they interpret, remember, they stripped him of his authority. He's, he's not a divine being and in human flesh. He's not the God man. He's a manifestation of God, they like say, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we are to worship like Jesus, but we don't worship him as God. So again, they, they're very playful in these terms, but they like to talk about right living and then throw out all the, all the teachings, right? Exactly. Uh, well, we don't, hold to, we don't hold to the essential truths because that's too dogmatic, right? We're not right. binary like that. But, but right and living so, has to proceed from right believing. That, yes, that's the point. If, yeah. you ha- if, you're living, if you're living a moral life is because, yes, you are holding to a standard of morality mm-hmm. that that exists outside of you. So morals are not relativistic. They, they are transcultural, meaning they apply to all people at all times and all circumstances. Why mm-hmm. is that? Because we believe God is the ultimate standard. Okay, so you say that there are six attacks against Jesus, and I agree with this. Uh, the first one is hijacking Jesus' divinity. We've been talking about that. And uh, hijacking the virgin birth, hijacking his miracles, hijacking the atonement, hijacking the resurrection, and hijacking the second coming. And then accusing Jesus of being just a Jewish mystic, of being a woke teacher, of being a revolutionist, but not being the savior of the world or the redeemer of humankind. So... I, I want to make your book available again, and then I want to get into some of those. Uh, we're going to have to do it a bit quickly uh, on each one of them, but we need to speak to those. So the book, again, friends, is Hijacking Jesus. It's a hardbound book, a $25 book, yours for $22. It's on our website, saveus.org, or you can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Uh, if you're writing a check at $5 for postage handling, and uh, we, we want to make this book available, I think every pastor should read it. I think every youth pastor should read it, and every parent should read it, and grandparent. We need to understand the dynamics of what is taking place so that our children, our grandchildren, whatever generation they are in, are not seduced by this hijacking of Jesus, the Savior of the world. All right, 
So let's let's run by. We've talked about the hijacking of Jesus' divinity, claiming he was just a man. Therefore, he loses his authority as the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. Hijacking Jesus' virgin birth, how so? Well, again, this is so critical because, again, if you go back to what we believe as essential truths as Christians, that we don't concoct you know, what we believe to make Christianity. It's based on who Jesus Christ is. And out of the person of Jesus Christ is Dr. Alistair McGrath. And a lot of his theology talks about that at the center of Christianity is a person. It's Jesus. And out of studying and learning and growing in fellowship with Jesus, we have these doctrines. We have yeah. these teachings that come from him that are essential. And we believe in one of those is known as the incarnation, God in the flesh, that mm-hmm. God sent his son, right? The, the beautiful passage in John three sixteen. God loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. And that's necessary because the first Adam, as we were talking about in the other segment, fell short. He used his free will and he abandoned his relationship with God and was deceived, the woman Eve, uh, through the hands of Satan. So Jesus came as the second Adam. To the, actually, the last Satan. Adam. Yeah, well, yeah, he's the, he's the second Adam that we see in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, but it's right. also referred to in, as the last Adam in First Corinthians chapter 15. And the point being is that he restored what was lost. He reconciled, he amended. Well, if you strip the virgin birth from Jesus, the incarnation, then again, you do not have a perfect being entering the world. All right, so now I want to, I want to make application to this then. Uh, the Jewish people... And their rabbis do not believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. And they say all it means is there was a young woman. A young woman, not a virgin, a young woman. Therefore, the Jewish people are not looking for a divine Messiah. They're looking for a Messiah who they say is one just like Moses. In other words, just a mere man. Maybe charismatic, but just a mere man. So at the heart of progressive Christianity is a version of Jewishness that denies the divinity of Christ from the get-go, looking for a different kind of Messiah, just some man to save us. I wonder how far that's going to go. We'll be right back after this to talk about miracles. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church.
You can teach people about Jesus, but still they never come to know him. Did you know that? Even the devil believes in Jesus. Even the demons believed in Jesus. Jesus went to the man, the uh, man who had become a wild man. They bound him with chains out there in the desert of Gennesaret. And he came to him and the demons screamed out, why are you coming to trouble us? Thou son of God. Hmm. So if the demons can recognize Jesus as the divine son of God, why can't we? Well, our problem is we just have a problem with understanding miracles or someone who could perform them. We've got a real problem. Don't we, Jason? Yeah, because, I mean, again, at the heart of Jesus' ministry are miracles. Right? I mean, miracles, let's just define it simply. It's a special act of God. So if God doesn't exist, and obviously miracles don't exist, but I take it a step further, if God doesn't exist, nothing exists, right? So foundational to us as Christians, as Christian theists, that we believe in God, and is made of a Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we believe that God performs special acts in his creation. It's not a violation but it's an intervention. To reveal that he was God, that he is over his creation. Right, and so Jesus' life is miraculous. You know, we just talked about his virgin birth. That's a Mm. miraculous uh, birth, you know, impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus' baptism with with the Holy Spirit descending on him and the voice from heaven, that's a miraculous baptism. When you see, even in John or excuse me, in Matthew 17 or Mark 9, the mountain of transfiguration. That's miraculous. When we see his resurrection, and prior to his resurrection, casting out demons, as you mentioned in Mark chapter 2, uh, raising people from the dead, casting out demons from other people, uh, and diseases, and healing them, and restoring them. I mean, over and over and over again. Uh, and then his ascension. All of that is miraculous. Progressive Christianity, that ideology, that religious movement, denies fundamentally that Jesus performed special acts of God, because, again, they deny that he was God. If Mm. you strip him of his miracles, once again, you do not have the God-man. All you have is a a liberator who is trying to cause an insurrection and failed. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that is exactly the view that uh, Pope Francis had when he came from South America and became Pope. He what that is was his view and still is hijacking Jesus' resurrection. How does that happen? Well, I mean, again, this is what we're when you and I were talking about earlier. This is this is when you face the evidence, overwhelming evidence of Jesus' resurrection. And I would love to come back on, maybe uh, do a show with you. And I do in my apologetic ministry, we teach a course on the evidence for the resurrection mm. and. Progressive Christians do not want to face this, because, again, if Jesus rose from the dead, and nobody in history ever had, uh, and he predicted that he would, and his life was filled with with miracles, and part of his miraculous ministry was fulfilling prophecy like no one has ever done, then what he said goes. And what he said is, if you do not have a son, you do not have life. You are dead in your sins. And so they cannot take the resurrection as a literal occurrence, physically and bodily, of Jesus, because then that will set the tone across the board. That makes Jesus 
the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And so they have to deny it. And so, again, what do they do? They take a metaphorical. So real quickly, one of the examples that many progressive Christians do, and I talk about this in my book, is they use, for example, the story of Lazarus. They mm-hmm. look at other occurrences of resurrection prior to Jesus' resurrection, because they think that the disciples just inserted that and made it up to make it seem like Jesus was this victor, right? That he was this amazing, powerful, deified being. And that's why they they, they uh, copied from other pagan religions. So the way they interpret, like Lazarus, for example, was that it was just, it was about the love that Jesus had for Lazarus. That was the true resurrection. It was about him coming there and sympathizing with his uh, sisters who were mourning his loss. And so true resurrection, a progressive Christian will say, is the way that they love through loss. And so there's always a new day, a new the, the new dawning of life, and the, that's what they call metaphorically resurrection. Mm. And so then they apply that same thing then to the disciples. So in their mind, the resurrection that they believe happened, that occurred, was mentally, they went from grieving to fighting to start a new movement. And what they did was they remained faithful to the memories and teachings of Jesus, and to them... That's resurrection. Wow, what a what a uh, mental gymnastics that has to be engaged in to achieve that kind of thinking. Finally, hijacking Jesus' second coming. How do you how do you hijack that? Well, it's funny, and again, this was very disturbing to be honest, Chuck. When I was reading a lot of progressive Christians on this very thing, they mock the first advent, and therefore they. Um, are laughable when it comes to the second advent. So mm-hmm. in the way this is how they apply it, again, I'm, this is their in their words, not mine. They say, because you biblical, literate, dogmatic, fundamentalist Christians, because you're disappointed in Jesus' first coming, <laughs> because he failed, yeah, they said, you make, you concoct a doctrine to believe that he's going to come again as this king of king and lord of lords, because mm-hmm. his first his first attempt, he failed. And so did the disciples. And so you had to deify him and apply miracles to his life to make him seem more special. And then all of a sudden scare people into becoming Christian, saying that at any given second he's going to return again. So you always got to be looking up to the sky and you put panic and anxiety in people. Oh my. And they would say that's a, they, they say that's manipulation and abuse. All right. So that's how most progressive Christians uh, define and interpret the second coming. The end result of that kind of thinking is there is no hope. You are without hope, because if in this life only you have hope, you are of all men most miserable, as the Apostle Paul wrote. So it is redefining the Christian faith as a humanistic kind of self-salvation, and uh, this is the spirit of our age, self-salvation. That's the spirit of globalism. That's the spirit of the new world order. We can save ourselves. And, interestingly, this week, on Monday, the progressive Pope was highlighted at the United Nations as the kingpin, so to speak, of the uniting of the world for this new world order. It's just unbelievable. Just unbelievable what is taking place. But this is how it's happening, friends. And you can talk about wokeness, the woke Jesus, uh, using the same kind of language meant to sway the masses to believe in a sympathetic, savior-like figure who approves your personal beliefs and behaviors, almost like believing in a Santa Claus Jesus who gives you whatever you want 
as long as you believe you've been good for inclusivity's sake. So, as our guest says today, in the epilogue of his book, he says the ultimate question is, who is Jesus? It really is. That's the ultimate question. So Jesus said that to his disciples. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Talking to you now, Jesus is saying to you, who do you say that he is? That's the question to the hour. Is he the only begotten son of God, full of grace and truth, or is he just some avatar of truth, some metaphorical representation of something that seems good or nice? If Jesus isn't God, then we're all left dead in our sins. There's no kingdom of heaven for us, no forgiveness, no hope. And that would make the gospel of Jesus the biggest Ponzi scheme the world has ever seen, wouldn't it? So knowing and believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, really matters. It matters so much that the fate of every human soul on the planet depends upon it. Those are the final words of our guest book, and I couldn't agree with them more. Uh, your final word, Jason. Well, one, Chuck, thank you for your faith. Uh, thank you for your faithfulness and for your love and your integrity for Scripture. Um, my final word to the people listening is, listen, as you just said, if Jesus isn't God, then he was a liar. He was just a person who lived life and deceived people. But thankfully, you and I are telling people out there, no, he's the Savior of the world. He came and he took on our sin so that we could be reconciled to a holy God. And that is the most powerful, beautiful, and amazing message the world can tell, uh, you know, that we can tell the world through the message of Jesus. And if you can deceive the world through a fake, reconstituted, revised Jesus, you've accomplished a massive deception. Friends, you can understand why Jesus said, take heed that no man deceive you. The book, Hijacking Jesus, How Progressive Christians Are Remaking Him and Taking Over His Church, and it may include yours. One of the most prominent preachers in the country today, the son of another prominent preacher who preached the authority of the Word of God, but his son is saying, no, not so much. No, we're going to have the gospel of inclusivity. And so great has the inclusivity been that he now has a church supposedly of 55,000 people. You see how the broad way seduces people? Straight is the way. Narrow is the way that leads to life, Jesus said. And few there will be that find it. Everybody has their reasons for rejecting that way. But ultimately, there will be a piper to pay. There will be a price to pay. And it won't be pretty. Today is the day of salvation. You can understand why the scriptures would repeat that theme both in the or in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Today, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. We don't know just how much longer there's going to be. 
And you don't know how much longer you're going to have on this planet. But we have to decide. We have to decide. Choose you this day the Jesus you will serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Jesus, who is the only begotten Son of God, full of both grace and truth. Thanks for joining us here on Viewpoint today. Jason, hold the fort there in North Carolina. I tell you, you, uh, you've done a masterful job with your book, Hijacking Jesus. I'm so grateful that you and I have met and formed a kingdom relationship right here on the air. I'm giving you a holy hug over the airwaves here, and I'm so grateful for what you're doing. You have kids? Yeah, we got four children. Whoa. So uh, how old are they? So we got two in college, one in high school, and one in middle school. Okay. Well, they're meeting a crowd that's trying to hijack Jesus. You've got a tall order on your hands, my friend. Amen. Well, pray for me as I pray for you, my friend. (laughs) Amen, my friend. And look, folks, get a copy of the book, Hijacking Jesus. It's a $25 hardbound book, yours for only $22 there on our website. A very, very necessary book. Very necessary, because we're in this testing time. We're in a time when we're seriously being tested. Are we going to believe the gospel or not? Are we going to receive the Bible as the holy word of God, full of truth? Or are we going to make up our own, like Satan seduced Adam and Eve to do there in the garden? Hath God said, Oh, yeah, well, he's said this, but you know what? We've got a lot of big butts in the church today. We really do. It's not just being overweight. We've got a whole lot of big butts in the church. Nevertheless, choosing not to believe what God has said, and it's time for us to seriously consider what we believe. Let's not remake Jesus. Don't turn him into a woman. Don't degenderize him. Don't make him something other than what he is. Take him at his word. Become a partner with us, friends. Send your gifts by faith to Save America Ministries. Do it today. Don't wait for the other guy to do it. I tell you, the other guy's not doing it. It's become tougher and tougher and tougher. If you want to hear this program continually, join us. Become a partner. Do it today. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.